The Westminster Catechism first asks us a question and then answers it for us. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that which he should seek after as his chief happiness. In that statement we've got two very important ideas. Our chief end is to glorify God, not rail at him, which means denounce, protest against or attack somebody or something in bitter or harsh language, and that we should seek after him as our chief happiness, that we should desire him above all else. I think I feel another gap coming on. Glorify him as God, yes, but the chief end of my happiness? You are joking. That God should be the source of our chief happiness is maybe something we hadn't previously thought about. So maybe we need to think about it a little, I mean. It's a bit like the first commandment, you remember that one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus speaking. What if God is asking us in these days to simply put the first commandment first? What if he's asking us to make him the object of our affections, our chief happiness, our highest goal, our passion? Passion. God is passionate about you, his bride. He's passionate about mankind. But the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid. For her silence is often more significant than her speech. She can never escape the self-disclosure of her witness concerning God. A.W. Tozer again, from the Knowledge of the Holy. What is your personal portrayal of God? When people talk to you, what do they receive of your knowledge of him? how you see him, and what's your passion? Exodus 20, 2-4 I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall have no other gods before me. Other gods. Idolatry. In the 21st century, let me define idolatry for you. Hero worship, adoration, veneration, anything that fills the spot he should occupy. Your job, your spouse, your car, your clothes, your health, yourself, me, myself and I. Whoops, did I say that? Fill in your own blanks. You can find out easily what's your passion, what you make an idol of. It's what fills your mind continuously where you spend your money, where your heart rests, the default position that your mind goes to. And idolatry is also the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him, because what you think about him is the most important thing in your life. The idolater, you know, imagines things about God and then acts as though they are true. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, for how we think of him is how we'll portray him. 
A.W. Tozer again, it's impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. If we will bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. It's my opinion that the Christian conception of God current in these middle years of the 20th century is so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God and actually to constitute for professed believers something amounting to a moral calamity. That is pretty strong stuff. Our conception, so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God, that's painful to hear, but it could be convicting also. Maybe we do, beloved, need to revise our thoughts about him today because there's that gap again. <laughs>